Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. We're fresh off of our second live pod. So we take this episode to reflect on that a little bit and our thoughts on in general about the NYC mayoral race. Uh, Second to that, we just get a little bit more into Genesis B. She's kind of joined very mysteriously. We wanted to get to know her more personally and the things that she's working on. And that kind of leads us into our last topic, hip hop, the state of music, you know, what's popping there. So sit back and enjoy. We are back. Yeah, I mean, that is true. That is true. We are back. Live pod was last week. Diane Morales. How do you guys think we did? Going into it, it was kind of, because the first live pod that we did, it was, Fav, you and I and Jim, it was Breakout Fest, yeah. So it was still like a different kind of production vibe and, you know, preparedness needed. But this was, this was I think this was more serious prepping because we had, because we were interviewing a, a mayoral candidate. So it felt it felt more buttoned up, I would say. So I mean, yeah. Do you think, was... do you think she thought we were going to be buttoned up? I feel like I, I saw some of the interviews she did online, and I, I felt like some yeah, of the interviews have been kind of slouches. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I saw that too. I watched that too. They they were not like super buttoned up interviews. They were more just sort of vibing, like she was just she had just joined. Maybe that's what she was going into. She felt like she was going into with us. I wonder if we saw the same ones because they were very like futon hacky sack ish vibe which was very interesting to me i guess she probably has a lot of the bernie bro vote so i think that's 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 where she's going right now she's i think at least within the language she has used seemingly and you know there's probably um you know maya's team and scott stringer's team might disagree but i would say the language she's used is probably the most progressive in, in the race i mean just the fact that you know one of the first things we talked about was the three billion on the refund or on the defund. No, she's all the way to the left as far as the candidates go. I think I don't think there's anybody more left than her. I think that she cemented that with giving the three billion dollar number, which nobody gave a number. They just talked about it abstractly, so they could sort of wiggle out of giving a number. Where she was just like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna give a number. What's up?" I mean, what else is she gonna do? She's like not like she's barely, you know, she's like four or five percent, I think. Right now, Yang's right. at 26, Eric's like 18. It's like, I do believe she really does want to do that. And I actually agree. But uh, you, you do kind of have to swing for the fences when, you know, it's like 20 candidates and you're at the lower threshold. Gee, what'd you think of the interview? How'd you think Diane did? Um, I enjoyed it. You know, I've been kind of staying out of politics in general ever since the election. Um, it was just a wild, wild year for myself and my colleagues and for me. I just haven't been in tune at all. So, um, no, I really enjoyed her. And, and again, to be honest, that was the first time I've been pulled into politics and having to think about it since the election. I'm pretty disillusioned with the political process in general at this moment. What has you the most disillusioned? I think just being on tour five months during the election year and during COVID, uh, seeing the behind the scenes of how much how much of the efforts are fueled by conflict, tension, underlying hate vibes. I didn't feel a lot of love in politics 
Um, I don't see a lot of transparency in politics. I don't see a lot of vulnerability in politics. And I'm like, all of those things are like kind of where I pull from spiritually. So I just, I'm not feeling it. I don't know where politics in America is going. Um, we know where it's been and where it's going. I, it's, I'm not feeling really positive about that. Do any of you think that you'd be voting for Diane? Do you feel differently after the interview? Kind of what was some final takeaways? Well, for me, it's too early to tell for me. So election is in November. I haven't, everybody's kind of been caught up in national politics. So to switch contexts to a local race, you kind of have to do the research all over again. And people know Yang from national politics, but I need to learn more about Eric. I need to learn more about Maya and even, you know, learn more about Diane as well. So I'm not ready to pull the trigger just yet, but I thought Diane was interesting. The only thing I wish I could get more in with Diane is that I think one of the last questions I asked were just, I was talking about, oh, people people are understanding civics more. How do you, between the federal, state, and local, there's this tussle of who does what. And I asked her about what the mayoral office, what their role in the vaccine rollout was. And I don't think I got a, a two, she talked about like helping out with appointments or something. I have to listen back to it, quite frankly. But I don't think I got like deep into it as much to where I think she is like really learned from an, from an institutional side, like in Alessandra or something in the state Senate, how she was just like, gave me a whole civics lesson on some past episode. I didn't really get that with Diane the same way. And I would have liked to. So more questions there. For better, or for worse, the, the job, the job of mayor is like getting shit done. <laughs> and so I'm always, as much as I love to hear the big pie in the sky stuff that we're going to move towards, I still want to know that people can get like certain things made because it's not like a wand. There's all sorts of things that are going to get in your way once you're there. Yeah. I mean, de Blasio actually, when he campaigned the first time around, sounded pretty good on paper. And then he got absolutely nothing done. <laughs> he somehow was like <laughs> a goose egg for both ends of the spectrum. Like, I don't even know how that happens. Like, everyone hated him. We got like, the only thing he did get done was figuring out ways to get to his gym in Park Slope. Okay, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to dunk on him. I was at his inauguration in like freezing really? cold January. Yeah. I had a buddy who got me in and he was so bland. I walked away beyond uninspired. I was like, this is the new mayor. I had that experience because we, I know I had a chance to see Warren speak, Bernie, Biden. We, I saw, I saw them all in person. Word. Who's who? Who? Ah, oh, Warren was the one when I saw her speak that I was like, "Oh, she's the one." Let's go. <laughs> yeah, she was the most transparent and genuine, and I think knowledgeable. Honestly, uh, Bernie was cool, but I wasn't uh, really like gung ho on Bernie. Like Bernie and Warren to me, you know, I would have been. So this was all you know, on the tour on the tour bus that you saw him, right? On tour, yeah, while we were touring. Gee, what what exactly were you doing on tour and how was politics involved in your tour? Sure. So I was on tour with a group called Vote Common Good. It's basically a bunch of Christian leaders, uh, authors, public speakers, you know, within the Christian faith. 
some who were former Republicans who switched parties uh, due to their religious beliefs, um, who were going into red territory, Republican territory, trying to appeal to Christian voters to vote with morality instead of party allegiance. So uh, my role on the tour, uh, I'm not Christian, I'm actually raised Muslim and identify as Sufi. Uh, my role on the tour, I was the poet laureate of the organization, so opening and closing with a political poetic piece. You know, I was kind of out of my element in general. Like, I'm really proud of the work that we did, and I did see how it, it actually did change some votes, move some votes away from Trump. So I'm really grateful for that experience, but there's always an underlying sense of othering, no matter where you're at on the political spectrum. I really felt like from the left side to the right side, those polarizations, there was such an othering and so much, I saw so much hate on the tour. <laughs> like it was just, uh, blew me back. I had never experienced a, a tour like that in general. And then for it to be during the most tense filled election that I think of my lifetime, um, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want to dabble in politics. I just want to stay to the art, you know, and I was, I was on there in our artistic capacity, right. You know, as a poet, <sighs> but yeah, it just made me want to just dive deeper into art and come from those places of transparency, love, vulnerability, um, challenging people in those respects, not necessarily challenging people's humanity based on what they believe. I don't know. That any of that makes sense, but so why don't you tell yeah. people? So, because obviously you right. talked about being a poet laureate on this, but you're a visual artist, you're a rapper, you do hip hop. I mean, you do kind of break down. I think the different spectrums of like what your art is because it is very multidisciplinary. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I'm just an artist in general. I dabble in different mediums. Uh, hip hop is my my base. My foundation is hip is hip hop. I'm a student of hip hop. It is where I draw a lot of my inspiration, like even my, my poetry, the way that it reads, it just sounds kind of like hip hop rap without a beat. So yeah, I, I, I dabble in all types of things and my subject matter ranges, it runs the gamut, you know, it's not always political. It depends on what organization I'm working with. So that was a political organization. So my pieces are going to be political. You know, I, I, collaborate with other artists, you know, it depends on what our synergy is. A lot of my work deals with sensuality, uh, sexuality, the human condition in terms of spirituality as well, you know, spirituality through sensuality, things like that. So it's not always like political. You get what I'm saying? Like all my, if you go and listen to my raps, a lot of it's not like rah, 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 fight the power. It's not all about that, you know, but some of them are. But most of it's just me as a person. Gee, who are you? Who who are your favorite rappers? Like, what is your foundation? Is in rap? Who's yeah. uh Who inspired you? Uh, I'm about to date myself now. Um, so Tupac was the first rapper that I heard and immediately started converting my poetry into raps. I was like twelve. I heard like uh Tupacalypse now. Brenda's got a baby, and I was like, what is this? Because my I didn't grow up in like a real musical household. You know, like my brothers didn't listen to rap, anything like that. My best friend's older brother came to the house one day. He was 15 at the time. I was like 12. And we were all just, you know, my brothers, her brother. He was like, let's write a rap. Everybody go in the corner. I got this beat. Everyone mm -hmm. write a rap. We come back. And, you know, I wrote this rap. And this kid, his mind was blown. He was like, yo, like, you're good at this. I was like, oh, okay, thanks. No, he was like, no, like you should, you should pursue this. You're good at this. 
and it's been on ever since. But Tupac, I'm a big Eminem fan. I'm a huge Eminem fan. Sure. My yeah. my, my my friends who are, you know, very feminist are like, how you like Eminem? Uh, He's the worst. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was gonna say who's yeah, who's I don't new? Listen to rap anymore. Uh, oh you don't? <laughs> Are you playing games? I don't really listen to hip hop, uh, like rap anymore. Not because it's not good. Like I, when I hear stuff coming into my cipher, I'm like, oh, like he wrote that beat nice, or she, she did her thing with that. It's not about that. It's about like where I'm at energetically. Most of the music that I listen to don't have lyrics. Period. Just because that's just like how my brain works. It's like I'm most relaxed or most amped or most hype when I'm listening to instrumentals or like things without. Uh, vocals on it so that's why i can't really i probably couldn't name like top three rappers right now yeah i don't know how you are ed i've totally my my music i used to listen to new music all the time i was constantly discovering i for the past at least five years am totally stunted and have like here and there i'll listen to something new but for the most part my studies are all like going back to just like our youth you know one of the biggest things that i learned working at genius we did we do these news videos and stuff just just as you know a quick sidebar and it's it's not um it's not surprising that people kind of stick to the music that they listened to when they were younger or more during their formative years because at that point the music is sort of used more as a tool a social tool or a, a tool used to build identity during our teenage years and, and so forth. This, there was like a social psychologist talking about this or something. It was like, that's why people who are, who are older will say, you know, 90s hip hop is the golden years or, you know, early 2000s or whatever. And then listen to today's stuff and be like, what is this bullshit? The generational divide is just always going to happen over time because the music we cling to the most or we gravitate towards the most are, is music we listen to during a particular time in our growth. I think for me, it's like I... I have such a different perspective because I am an artist and I've been doing music since I was a kid. So I've I've been industry focused for a very, very long time. So like for me to listen to something objectively is very, very difficult. And I like went to college. I went to the, to the Clive Davis Institute for four years. So everything from mm. listening to frequencies, sound, sound engineering, music theory, uh, branding and packaging is a huge thing for me, right? So it's like, if I if I see an artist, like, for example, like Cardi B, for example, I like her because she played to the authenticity packaging to a T, like, so brilliantly, right? Whereas if I saw a more manufactured artist and I'm like, oh, like, Takashi, like, no matter how you feel about Takashi, you know, he, he knows, like, you know, how to get people's attention and all that. But like mm -hmm. when I saw him, his persona, his brand, I was like, oh, he's he's not what he says he is. Right. But he's playing towards a certain demographic. He's playing towards an audience who are easily fooled into thinking, OK, maybe he is this gangster, high, high bravado person. Right. So right. It's like for me, I can't really listen and take take in music the same way as as a consumer as a producer of music. So that's why. Right. Yeah. I just kind of lean away. Yeah. You're, 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 you're like, you're in the industry. You look at, so you, you can just sort of pick it apart. Like Takashi is just like a construction 
for a specific brand and purpose, right? It's, it's right. sort of not And a really... brilliant construction at that. Right. That's why I'm saying. I, I give props to that. It's just like, right. I'm not going to listen, though. <laughs> when you read, like, I've never seen someone explode that fast. Even if he was, like, a bet, like, whatever. I don't want to get into, like, good or bad. Like, I think we, people all have, like, spectrums of, like, where they can be. But, like, that is just a toxic level for anyone to be able to, like, go that fast up um so anyway i don't, I don't want to give takashi too much but <laughs> yeah i was just use, i was just saying like in in general yeah. for me that's how i i look at music as a as a consumer lens it's i don't really right. have a consumer lens so would you you mentioned because you like eminem some of your homegirls are like through a feminist lens they're like how could you like eminem could you say that about hip-hop in general how do you is hip-hop is not very feminist i would say right is that irreconcilable? Like, how, how do you... That's a hard question. It's something that we've thought about for years and years and years, right? And it's like, hip-hop's, right. you know, been, been degrading women and degrading to men also, you know? So... Sure. Degrading to our communities in general. So, uh, it's I, I'm an artist, so it's, uh, it's hard for me to have a critical lens when it comes to self-expression, to be fully honest with you. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that frustrates a lot of my audience sometimes. But the reality is... We live in a misogynistic society. Mm -hmm. I think hip hop, to a certain degree, has been immune to Me Too movement and immune right. to a lot of the accountability that's happening. But I think that won't go on forever. That there is some point where we're going to have to address this. Uh, this is just the way the way the society's zeitgeist is going, right? So, but at the same time, I, I believe people have should have the right to to express themselves but so many artists don't mm -hmm. control what they're saying you know that eddie right a lot of it is ghostwriting a lot of it is people who don't look like me who aren't women who aren't black who aren't brown who are perpetuating this type of toxicity into our community so i'm not going to look at the artist and be like it's your fault you 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 i'm looking at the puppet master above the artist who's who's pumping this this stuff out and the consumer who's buying it and streaming it. So it's not just all on the artist. Well, that's a good point. I think that that combining that with the Takashi construction point, my take is that hip hop, what started in the late seventies and really started getting going in the eighties, the misogynistic dimension to hip hop was obviously always there because it exists within a patriarchal society, right? So black men can be misogynist. They're going to be, the relationship between black men and black women, the black men can can obviously benefit from a misogynistic structure, right? And that's reflected in like the boastfulness of, of hip hop. But hip hop in the beginning wasn't just all, the way people think about it now, hip hop in the beginning was much more diverse. There was more, you know, sort of poetic hip hop and it was just sort of people reflecting on their reality. You know, yeah. it was more much conscious hip hop. But there's a certain sort of subgenre within hip hop that just went mainstream. And I think that was the more toxic, misogynistic part of hip hop that just got blown up by the people who owned the distribution and the labels. Right. And like, oh, I like this one. So let's all let's let's actually elevate this over all of the rest of the other types exactly. of hip hop. And then right. and then you see the success of that and people aspire to build their own constructions to that. So I think that that it perpetuates that way more systemically. And it is not actually all of hip hop. That's a huge, huge, really salient part of hip hop, but that is the one that 
gets elevated the most. But it, it really is just across the board in just entertainment. And it's it's there because it's what's consumed the most. People are doing it because it's making them the most money. For sure. I'm not saying that's sure. right. But like that that's just in all genres. I think here's how it's racialized, though. There's mis there's mis misogyny is a countrywide thing. And it exists in all music genres. But yet people tend to think that it only really exists in hip hop and not country or rock or other other like genres that are less populated by black men, frankly. I think it it's paired with that in a way where country artists who are the biggest abusers can can like look down at hip hop and be like, all oh, these people and the way they treat women like, dude, you're, you're going to go home and physically and mentally abuse your partner after you say this. You know, it, it's just like it's such a double standard there, I think, which is unique. But country music and rock aren't saying the same things that hip hop is saying, though, in terms of the extreme commentary. Get, you get what I'm saying? You're not hearing, hearing yeah. the type of derogatory, like the actual phrases in country and rock. And these they're, they're, they're targeting a little more pop friendly, family friendly. You know, hip hop is just like. And like that's what I'm saying, that's part of the expression of like being blunt, right? And being boastful. But the commercialization of hip hop, the way that Michael, you're comparing it to video games, to movies, that's what's so unfortunate, honestly, is that hip hop has been commercialized to the point where we're comparing it to a video game. Because when I'm, say I'm a student of hip hop, what hip hop was and is and will always be to me is us making something out of nothing. Us taking these, what, South Bronx or these dilapidated neighborhoods of, like, where we stay and people looking like, we're going to leave these areas, this shit is trash, and us being like, no, nah, we're going to take something from what we have and make it beautiful and build off of that. That's the innovation in us. That's the resilience in us. Since then, you know, other outside people have picked it up and commercialized it and made billions off of it while continue to perpetuate the poison that's the unfortunate part. But like when I say I'm a student of hip hop, like I am resilient. I know how to make something out of nothing. I know how to inspire people around me and inspire myself with $2 in my pocket. That's what I mean by hip hop. Yeah. I also just feel like there's a difference between like hip hop and rap. Like I don't feel like a lot of the stuff that's coming out is like hip hop. To me, in my mind, hip hop's like maybe like Kendrick. To me, it's very much like Reflection Eternal. Like, what this what some of this other stuff we're talking about to me is very much rap which is like much more in this like commercialized thing like to me when i whenever i think of hip-hop i think there's like much more of like homage to a craft and like a deeper like poetic journey that someone's going on and that's why i feel like i, I stay stuck in my old head ways because i just i don't find that lane in a lot of the new stuff i'm hearing not to say that there aren't you know yeah. Right. There's, but I don't like that. Like I said, my music isn't necessarily hip hop, though. Like, you know, if you listen to some of my songs, like it's very boastful and braggy and talking about, you know, uh, different relationships with women that I'm in. You know, it's not like soulful, reflective, and it's not all like that. So, I mean, I kind of use rap and hip hop interchangeably. And I think um, I'm more of a skill head. Like, I like the skill of it. I like the wordplay. I like when I hear artists and they're like doing double entendres, and I'm like, I look at it like the Olympics. I'm like, oh, like she did that or he did that. Like that's how I like the, what excites me about listening to rap. If there's not a lot of skill in it, but there's a lot of heart and relatability in it, I like that too. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Yeah, this hip hop is so big or rap. It's just so big. There's a bunch of subgenres within subgenres. It is just not one thing. 
So and, and it just never was. So to think about it any other way is to look at it in a reductive way. Ed, who do you like right now? You're you're with all the all the youngins. What's 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 bumping at Genius's office right now? Uh, Genius is just super cutting edge. Like I can't keep up, quite honestly, with all of this stuff. But like some of the newer, like Baby Cam, uh, I like Baby Cam. Like Isaiah Rashad, he's not super super new, cutting edge, but he's like newer. Who I like, he's been around for some years. I mean, J. Cole is obviously a classic. I mean, he's he's newer, but even old heads can get down with J. Cole. Um, he's been around for a minute. You know, I mean, listen, Drake got bars. I'll defend that any day. The Drake, the Drake like conversation the is the funniest conversation. It is. It is. <laughs> Y'all are funny. We should have been start talking about music. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we needed a political breather. Yeah, We're going to get back into it, but, you know. It, it's it's been a year word, well word. look i think we'll keep this one short um yeah you well everyone peace <laughs>